I was talking last week about success, and uh, what prompted that discussion was James and John and their, uh, what they believed to be a timely request, but what the rest of the crew felt like was not at all an appropriate request, for to have the two best seats in the house. When Jesus came into his kingdom, they wanted the thrones on the left and the right, which basically are number two, number three powers of uh, positions of power in the kingdom. I don't, I don't know that how much they really understood about what the kingdom was going to look like or what the kingdom was going to be. Uh, if in, in Mark's gospel, the, uh, the disciples are, are not given much, much grace. Uh, they're, they're kind of presented as ones, uh, well, even Jesus, uh, slow to learn. And so I doubt they had a very uh, a, a full picture of what the kingdom looked like. But if there's kingdom talk and they're close to the head of the kingdom, then I thought they might grab the, the, the next best spots since they can't have the, the center throne. So they, they make the grab for it, and Jesus corrects them, and, and he challenges them uh, that uh, they don't understand what's coming. And uh, so they decide this might be their best opportunity, uh, but they're blinded by their ambition. So uh, they try to get to the top, and they claim they can share in Jesus' glory. And there's some interesting language there. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you participate in the baptism I participate in? And it, it's kind of a, there's, there's, there's two threads of thought going through that conversation. Uh, one is the cup that Jesus is going to drink when he receives the Father's wrath. Scripture says, he who had no sin became sin. He's the one who took our sins to the cross. And so uh, everything that he encountered on the way to the cross, on the cross, is punishment that was rightly ours for the sins that we committed. And so in, on one hand, there's absolutely no way that James and John or anyone else on earth can can drink that cup. Only the sinless Christ can do that one who's been tempted in every way and yet without sin. But they will have their own cup. They will have their own suffering. They'll have their own uh, uh, price to pay for, for their faithfulness and for, for staying faithful to God. Kind of what we talked about this morning, that, uh, that, that no, one, no one should expect to get through being a faithful Christian unscathed. And so they, they will have a cup, but it won't be the one that Jesus drinks. And also this, the baptism of his death, burial, and resurrection to bring everyone else the opportunity for life. They will die. They will be buried. And, and through their faith, they will be resurrected. But it won't be... The, the, the salvific uh, rest, restoration that God, the Christ, brings uh, through his resurrection. So there's kind of a, uh, two different contexts going on with the conversation. But they, they're so eager to, to claim to, to go to the top, they claim they can do what Jesus, only, only Jesus can do, what they cannot do. And the others were indignant, and uh, with James and John, uh, you, you decide how much grace you want to give the other ten, whether it was because they were, they thought that was inappropriate and they, they should have a more humble approach. I find it very interesting that, that almost uh, that almost immediately before this exchange, all twelve of them were evidently arguing who was the greatest. So I, I tend to be a little less gracious than that. I tend to think that they're probably <coughs> mad because uh, they thought maybe they could have vied for those spots if they if if uh, James and John hadn't beat them to it. So we have, we have an interesting dichotomy in, in the group where we have Jesus who is on his way to, to Jerusalem, to the cross. He's on his way to uh, be crucified. In fact, when we get to chapter 11, uh, that's a, he's, it's his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It's the Sunday before his crucifixion. And so we're there as far as, as Mark is, is recounting his, his remembrance of the gospel. Uh, this where we're at right now is is the the beginning of the end. It is, it is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time as as the uh, 
the Messiah to come for our, our to die for our, our sins. And so in the midst of this, we're still having this conversation with the disciples as to who's the greatest and who gets to have the best seats in the house and who's the one who, um, who should be in the, in the power spots. So that's a, that's a worldly strategy. That's, that's a human, uh, mortal uh, strategy for success. Tonight we're going to look at, at Jesus' strategy for success. Uh, we touched on this before the bell rang, but let's, let's get back into it. Mark chapter 10, not on the screen, open your Bibles. Read with me if you would, beginning in verse 42. Mark 10, beginning in verse 42. Uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So, well, if, if James and John aren't the poster children for what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ, and in this particular moment they're not, if the other ten are indignant because they thought maybe they should have a grab at, at, at number two and number three thrones, then they're not offering much of an example at this moment either. So what does it look like to be a Christian? What, what, what is the proper profile for a follower of Christ? Well, there are some behaviors that are unacceptable. And if you notice in verse 42, first part of verse 43, one of those is lording it over. And it's kind of interesting if you've ever, you remember the, uh, you remember the hall monitors in class? You might go back that far. Was anybody ever a hall monitor in class? Okay. Oh, okay. Then I have to be careful how I do this. Have you ever noticed that, now, now Susan and James are, are, and Jim are ex- excluded from this, but have you ever noticed how sometimes hall monitors let the power go to their head? I know y'all never did that. I know y'all would never do that. But did you ever, did you ever have somebody who's just one of your buddies in school, one of your friends, and they become a hall monitor, and next thing you know, you know they're kind of ruling the world? There's, there's, it's interesting how we as human beings react to power. Even when we have, we've been recipients of, of an ungodly use of power, an unholy use of power, a, 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 an unfair use of power, it's easy sometimes when we become someone with some power to, to let that be misused. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. So uh, there's a call here. They've, they've been under pagan rulers. They've seen what it's like to have a power abused, abused at their expense. And so he tells them, you need to, you need to watch what you're doing. You, you don't need to be someone who lords it over. I doubt they really appreciated the pagan rulers who lorded it over them. And so the disciples probably didn't, they didn't like that, but Jesus felt like it was important for him to warn them not to be like that, which I thought was kind of fascinating. So Jesus makes it clear that, that, that self-serving leadership has no place among his leaders or in his kingdom. He tells his disciples, verse 43, not so with you. So there's some behaviors that are unacceptable, and that is lording it over, abuse of power, uh, taking advantage of the authority and, and the rule of the head. You remember the account when the disciples were out uh, doing the work that they were called to do and they came across somebody that was driving out demons in Jesus' name and they didn't know him. And they said, well, we're sure glad you're here. We could use all the help we can get. Right? What did they do with that? We told them to stop because we didn't know him. Right? He's not one of us. So, so Jesus 
didn't just pick this warning out of thin air, just in case you might one day decide you might want to abuse your power. Let me just tell you now ahead of time, don't do that. He's got an example of why he needs to have that, that conversation with his disciples. And so he tells them this is not what leaders look like. On the other hand, there are some behaviors that Christ expects from his followers. Back when James and John told Jesus what they wanted, you remember, and, and, and Mark doesn't tell us this, but the other accounts do, that, 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 uh, their, that mom was involved too. I mean, you know, mom was coming to help and, and plead their cause. Uh, they, they told Jesus their wants. You know, do whatever we ask for you. We want the left and right. You remember that? They wanted to be the lords in the two highest places in the kingdom. Well, guess what? Now Jesus tells them exactly how they can do that. Uh, he says, whoever wants to be great among you, verse 43, must be your servant. Verse 44, whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. So here's how you get what you want. You are the servant and the slave of all. You're, you're the one who sacrifices. You're the one who serves. And the beauty of it, Christ models the behavior. I don't know if, if you've ever, I'm sure you have. It's, it was fascinating to me when it first kind of dawned on me that, that I don't think Jesus has asked me to do anything that he hasn't already done. Didn't ask me to be baptized before he was already baptized. Didn't ask me to, to resist temptation before he'd already been tempted in every way and was sinless. He, 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 you, you remember when God the Father went into a covenant partnership with, with uh, Moses? They cut the two pieces in half. And, and what's interesting is the, the idea is when you cut the two pieces in half, you, you're supposed to walk between those two pieces. And that symbolizes if I break this part of the covenant, you can do to me what we've done to these animals. Well, Moses doesn't walk through the, I'm sorry, Abraham, Abraham doesn't walk through the two pieces, but God does in, in the form of a smoking pot. God doesn't, God, God goes through there and says, I'm keeping my promise. And just in case I don't hear, you can do this. God, God doesn't ask anything of us that He's not already done or willing to do. He, 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 he gives us the example. When he, when he told the Israelites to go into the Canaan, into the Promised Land, what did He say? What did he say? I'll, go, I'll go ahead of you. I'll go ahead of you. He, and so Jesus is saying we need to be people who are sacrificial servants. And He does, and before He asks us to do that, He models what that looks like. This is what it looks like to be a sacrificial servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if there was ever anybody who walked this earth who deserved to be served, it was Him. Um, so, He gave His life as a ransom for many as well. And so, then another example. Jesus offered Himself as a guilt offering. If you look at Leviticus chapter 5, we won't turn there, but 5, 6, 7, there's, there's statements in there about payment uh, for everyone else's sins. He had no sins of His own. But so, there's a guilt offering for, for He offered Himself in that way. Uh, and the deliverance that was brought about by his offering overcomes all the alienation that our sins have brought before God. Or the Devo is about God restoring things better than they were before. Not just restoration, putting things back, but make it better than before. Years and years and years ago, probably oh, probably 15 years now, there was a flood that went through this, the center of the town where, where Jan and I lived and where I was preaching. And there was a creek that went through there and got six inches of rain in two hours and just and it, it caught all the water. And it went through some very difficult and, and some uh, uh, the poorer parts of town. And uh, so I was part of the, the committee for the, the community to fix it back up, to put it back. And our entire goal was let's get these people back to pre-flood conditions. You know, if they were living in a mobile home, we weren't, weren't going to put them into, in a mansion. If, if they, you know, we were trying to get them back to pre-flood conditions. Well, uh, 
God takes the, the sins that we create and the problems that we cause with our sins and not only gets us back to pre-sin conditions, He gets us back to even better than that. He gets us back to where we have even greater blessings. So Christ did that by giving His life as a ransom for many and not only did away with the alienation we have from God, but also created the expectation of a home with Him in heaven. So the call for you and me is that we adopt that strategy for success. We have the, the, serve, the self-serving, the self-sacrificing strategy, not the self-serving strategy. He turned, Jesus came into the world and turned the world's values upside down. Is there, was there ever anyone more powerful or more prominent than Jesus who's ever walked the earth? Before or since? No. There's never been anyone who had more power than Jesus. Never, I mean, there's... No, no other member of the Godhead who's come and walked the earth, much less Roman emperors or U.S. presidents. I mean, there's nobody who, who has the power and prestige and the prominence that Jesus had. And yet he's the one that came, came and said he came not to be served, but to serve, to offer himself as a sacrifice for many. You remember at the end of his ministry when he, when he, bends, when he wraps himself like a, he dresses himself like a servant and begins to wash his disciples' feet? Well, what was Peter's reaction? This is wrong. This is inappropriate. You shouldn't be doing this. This is not right. Don't do that. You remember when he came to John the Baptizer in the Jordan and said he needed to be baptized? What was John the Baptizer's reaction? Oh, this is wrong. This is, you shouldn't be doing this. This is, this is beneath you. And here the most powerful man in the world came. Well, not a man, but the most powerful being who ever walked the earth came and said, I came. he came to serve, not to be served. Born in a barn, raised in poverty, ministered in adversity, died in controversy, a sinless sacrifice on an accursed tree. He completely spent himself in service to others. I think that's fascinating. So, we will never be what God wants us to be. We will never fulfill the role God has called us to fulfill. We'll never be the light that God called us to be, the salt, until we learn to serve. And serve humbly. That doesn't really fit well with our culture, does it? Doesn't fit well with our world and what they value. But that's what we're called to do. If we really, if we really want to be first, then we need to be last and the servant of all. All right. Uh, two strategies for success. One worldly strategy. One Christ strategy. One successful. One not. Uh, uh, even the human strategy may be successful for a moment. Christ's strategy is successful for eternity. Thoughts, comments, criticisms, critiques, anything? How much humility does it take? How hard is it to be the servant of all? Extremely hard. The position it puts you in, and, and that would be uh, a position where you're compromised, a position where you look weak, a position where you invite abuse. Is that, is, am I going where you're going, or am I, am I going a different direction? Well, the human being, which I hope most of us are. Yeah, we try to be human sometimes.
Some people are more apt to be of that nature than others. It's, it's not the most common human nature there is to be a sacrificial servant, is it? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't really come natural. Yeah, thank you. We have to be that to everyone we know. Everyone yeah. Know. I'm okay to be a sacrificial servant for some, sometimes. But to all? How many times do, okay, how many times do you look at a need, whether it's uh, a yard next door that needs to be mowed, if it's a dog that's leaving, you're going to go have to, how many times do you look at a need and you, and you make the value assessment? Do I like these people? Are they going to be grateful? Or are they going to are they are, are they going to be are they going to expect it? I mean, I've had conversations with people, and I've been a part of the conversation where you know, I'm not you know we've helped them before, and they didn't say thank you. I, that grabs me. That that irks me. It does. And I don't know. I'm not sure that that's the. the I struggle with that. Yeah. I have always lived by and part of the temple my dad. But it's in scripture too. I'm willing to help anyone that helps themselves. We'll help anybody who helps themselves, okay? I'm very much in the qualifier. I'm very much in the vetting, you know. And 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 uh, I'll say this right. I, in my opinion, I'm way too much into it, but I'm there. Uh, do they deserve it? Have, are they? Will they make good use of it? Will they do it? Will they use the help that I give them the way I think they should use it? Will they? I'm very much into the vetting. And and and, and I don't know that uh, that we take all common sense and throw it aside. But I but I I'm, I don't know that I'm in the center of God's will where He wants me to be in terms of helping people because He's helped some folks that that uh, buy a lot of well He's 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 helped some people who society would say really weren't worthy of that lepers sinners and tax collectors you think about uh, you think about uh, John the Baptizer, he felt like, John the Baptizer felt like the level of humility that Jesus was exhibiting by coming to him to be baptized was inappropriate. It wasn't just odd, it wasn't just weird. He said, no, we, you, you, you need to baptize me. I, I, and Christ said, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness, right? Uh, and Peter felt like what Jesus was doing was inappropriate. The level of service and humility and self-sacrifice that Jesus exhibited, even those closest to him, felt like was inappropriate. I think that we all feel like at times everybody should know the same thing I know. Everybody okay. should have been trained the same way I was trained. Everybody should have the same values that I have. We should all kind of have some common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it 
Yeah, we're, we're telling the good news that, that is uh, very familiar with us. I want to say old hat, but that's, that's not uh, proper. But, but it's very familiar to us. And we're, and we've, we're not only familiar with it, we, we love it, we appreciate it, we, we honor it. And like I said, there may be somebody that has no hook to put that. No, no, there's, there's no concept of that. Or, I don't know if it's even worse, but, but it's not, certainly not better. They've had a skewed view of what that looks like so that it's been a twisted view. So that it's a health and wealth gospel or it's a self-serving gospel or it's a, uh, you know, it's not the gospel. They, so they've heard something that's a twist of what it was. And so there, there's a whole lot. And there's a lot of people who, thank you very much, that, that, that we assume they know what we know. They, they, they have the experience we have and they have the education and the background. And, and that's a dangerous assumption. All right. Any other thoughts? Mr. Jim? Okay. So, so the, the the those in need, those in let me see if I can get this right. Those in need who are truly in need are grateful. We'll have a, we'll have a grateful response, a, a response of gratitude. Those who have a. a, a don't have a real need, but they okay. <clears throat> and you do it for them, they resent it. Okay, all right. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> let's go to Mark 10. Let's go back and pick up at verse 46. We're going to see uh, Jesus perform a miracle here on a man named Bartimaeus. And uh, it's kind of interesting because we're, he's going to put into practice the last account. This is the last incident that's recorded by Mark before Jesus enters into Jerusalem. So this is kind of the, the period dot at the end of his public ministry before he goes into his uh, his. It's crucifixion. So, Jesus is on his way to uh, Jerusalem. He and he passes through Jericho, and we remember Jericho back in the days when the Israelites came into the Promised Land, right? Because this was this great big fortified city that scared everybody. Well, Jericho has fallen into disrepair in, in the time between the Israelites coming into Canaan. It's an old city now. Uh, it was considered to be, still thought to be, one of the oldest inhabited cities on the earth. And in Jesus' day, the, the city that was such, so grand and so imposing to, uh, to, the, to the Israelites as they came into the Promised Land now is, is uh, old and in disrepair. It's, a, it's largely abandoned, uh, and it is, it is in bad, bad shape. <clears throat> a new city <clears throat> south of that old Jericho has been built, built by Herod the Great. And it's, it's a place for, it's his, it's his winter home. And then it's sweet. He has a, he's built him a winter home there. So he's built a whole new city to, basically it's a support system for his winter home. But he has a winter home there. And what's interesting is it's a, it's a common site for beggars at the, to, to sit at the gates of these cities and solicit donations from passersby. So Bartimaeus is nothing new. And, and uh, who would be the, uh, okay, who, who would be the, contem- the, the modern Contemporary, the, the, the modern version of Bartimaeus. If we were to tell this story in 21st century Tulsa, who would be? Uh, do, we want to get a little further into it, and then we can come back to that question. Keep that question in your mind. We're going to come back to it. And so Jesus comes and encounters this, this, this one of these beggars who's sitting at the city gates, and and uh, and this guy serves as a metaphor for his entire ministry. Um, I believe that's kind of what Mark's doing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
putting a period dot at the end of his public ministry. And I think this is kind of the, the a synopsis, if you will, of his entire public ministry. Let's read Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, uh, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then he rebuked him and told him uh, to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, he said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's stop there. A couple of things about Jesus. His, his role in, in his public ministry, and this is throughout his entire public ministry, Christ's role has been a divine response. A divine response to hunger, a divine response to blindness, a divine response to disease, a divine response to sin, a divine response to pride. Uh, his entire ministry is about a divine res- response. And the first thing I think that's fascinating, and this may be one of those things, if I could dovetail off of what Larry talked about, we think everybody has the same background we have. It may be easy for us to forget for a moment that, uh, that, that Jesus is accessible, he is accessible. And, and what I mean by that is how many other leaders was the emperor accessible? Was King Herod accessible? King Herod had his winter palace there. Do you suppose he went and walked among the people at the beggar's gate where people could, could come and call to him and he would stop and say, yeah, come, yeah, what do you want? Come talk to me. He's accessible. Uh, very unusual. He's making himself available, even to a poor, blind beggar. Another thing interesting about Jesus is he's approachable, verse 49. Now, the, the, the folks that are traveling with Jesus, what's their response to this beggar? We're glad you're here because Jesus loves to minister to people just like you. Be quiet. Shut up, sit down. Why do you suppose they wanted him to be quiet? They they didn't like being quiet. The apostles didn't want to be quiet. Why did he need to be quiet? Undeserving, absolutely. Didn't they do something like that with the kids? When people, when the adults were bringing the kids to Jesus, didn't they do something kind of like the same thing? Didn't they do something with that guy that was driving out demons, but they didn't know him? Jesus is way up here and you're way down here and you're wasting his time. Don't bother, don't bother the big guy. They feel like he's a waste of time. They're not about to let this unimportant person disturb Jesus as Jesus is doing something important. Here's this guy, verse 46. He's sitting by the roadside begging. So their response is, shut up, sit down. You're not worth the effort. What's Jesus' response? Yeah, come here. Come here. Approachable. 
Let's see, that's, that's, that's Mark's whole thing. I mean, um, you know, the, the, other, the other three writers of the Gospels are a little more gracious toward the apostles. But Mark is just like, these guys are dull. They, they don't get it. And, and I, uh, I'd love to have a conversation with Mark about that. I, I don't think he's misrepresenting them at all. He's just not flattering them. Um, in the Renaissance, a lot of anytime there was a, a, a Christian figure, whether it was Jesus, uh, Mother of Jesus, the Apostles, whatever it was, they would they would in the artwork in the artwork they would paint them with a halo over their head because they were that was that, that was their way of of communicating to the to the viewer of the artwork that this is someone special, this is a saint, this is a saint. But Mark doesn't put any halos on anybody's head. He, you know, only Jesus wears a halo. Yeah, you think. If uh, if they haven't gotten it yet, you kind of wonder, are they gonna? You know, when when when's it gonna sink in? When's it gonna land? But Jesus takes a totally different approach, more than willing to stop for the beggar. Now, how, if he's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sin of every human being that's ever lived and ever since ever committed, how important is that mission? Is there any way to overstate the importance of the mission? Is there, any way to, is there any way to exaggerate the importance of that mission to be the sinless sacrifice for every sin that will ever be committed? He's on his way to do that. He goes, yeah, oh, oh hang up. Let's, let's, let's all, everybody halt for just a minute. Come here, you totally unimportant person that nobody seems to think is worth the time and energy to visit. The crowd's telling the beggar to be quiet, and Jesus is telling the crowd, call him. And finally, in verse 52, the Savior is capable. One of, one of the, the messianic prophecies, one of the prophecies of the Messiah when he came into the world would be restore sight to the blind. Isaiah uh, speaks this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, beginning of verse 4. Isaiah 35, beginning of verse 4, says, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. That's also in Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 61. Three times in Isaiah that prophecy. And so what's he doing when he, as he's going to the cross and he stops with this person that nobody thinks is worthwhile and restores his sight? It's fulfilling prophecy. If they don't get it yet, maybe one last miracle to affirm their prophets. At least, you know, when, when uh, Saul of Tarsus is called on the road to Damascus, he just falls off the radar for like three years. It, it's, it's covered in like in one sentence in Acts, but he just falls off the radar for like three years. And what, he's, what evidently he's doing is going back and thinking back over the prophecies of the Messiah and trying to see if this carpenter's boy in Nazareth fits those prophecies. And, and it takes him and kind of three years connecting the dots. And he comes back and realizes, oh yeah, this doesn't fit the way, the, doesn't fit the way Gamaliel taught him they should fit. Doesn't fit the way his parents taught him they should fit. Doesn't fit the way the, the general population thought the, the, the prophecies would be fulfilled. But when Paul, formerly Saul, looks at it through fresh eyes, he goes back and says, yeah, if you look at it correctly, you can see that he's there. Well, that's, I think, what Jesus is doing here. Here's one more time. We're going to fulfill the prophecies of the Messiah so that when you look back on this, you can put the pieces together. Was there a hand I, I talked over, Larry? I think it's interesting looking at Jesus and his uh, teaching and his ministry to people. He not only preaches the 
Yes. Yes. Over and over and over again. So, so this, okay, when, when he not only heals the blind man, but he teaches a story. But he, he, this is a teaching moment. This is a, the same thing is true when he went to John the baptizer in the Jordan and says, I need to be baptized. They thought he was doing something wrong. But he was teaching a story. He was, he was, it was a teach, teaching moment. The same thing when he kneeled down and washed the disciples' feet. And again, they thought he was doing something wrong. A teachable moment. And here we have another time when they thought he was doing something wrong. The disciples didn't feel like this guy was worthy of his time. So they had done the math. They had done the math. Should I help this guy? Is he worthy of the help? They had done the math. And then they said no. And Jesus like, hmm. Wait a minute, my calculations come up different than your calculations. Let's stop. Let's call him. Bring him here. Jim? And the blind beggars down here? Yeah. They said, yeah, right. If I didn't make that clear. Yes, yes, that's, thank you. That's where I was, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to head that way, so I appreciate you, I appreciate you letting that land, yeah. We, that's what, when I'm talking about me doing the math, the calculations, whether this person's worthy of help, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We tend to do the exact same thing. And what's interesting is, and, and I guarantee you, you get in any conversation, I say I guarantee you, it's, it's always a bad idea to paint with too broad a brush, brush right? You should never be too, too anyway. Odds are, when you get in a conversation, even among a body of believers about benevolence, it, it almost instantly turns to assessing value, assessing worth. And there's some people right now that, are going, that, that, that want to say something right this minute, but they're not because, <laughs> because of the setup, right? But yeah, we don't, we don't have enough money to fix everything. We, 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 we need to be careful. We, have, we, we don't want to be an enabler. And we don't want, you know, ping, 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 all these things going. The disciples are doing the same thing. We've done the math. This guy isn't worth it. And, and honestly, if I, if I was one of the disciples, I would probably be in the same spot they're in. Because what's he going to, if, if I had any clue what he was going to Jerusalem to do, I would think this is totally insignificant. Compared to what he's going to do, I don't think I, I don't think I can be any. I don't think I can take the high ground on the on the disciples on this one. And Jesus has a different calculator. So that's three times: John the Baptizer, Peter with washing the feet, and now the disciples with this blind man. And and those are just three that just kind of popped in my head as we were trying, trying to do the lesson, get ready for the lesson tonight. Three times people looked at Jesus and said, "This is wrong." And Jesus said, "No, you're wrong." You remember when, okay. You remember when John the Baptizer sent the messenger to ask Jesus if, if he really was the Savior? Right? John's in jail. That's not, that's not how John envisioned his ministry playing out. <laughs> Especially when he fulfilled his ministry correctly. He didn't think that was going to lead him to jail. He's in jail. And now he's going, okay, I'm not sure this guy's the real deal. So he sent some of his disciples. Fascinating language in there. John and his disciples. 
to Jesus to ask him if he was the real deal. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Jesus answers him. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The first thing in verse 5, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. This is Matthew 11, 4 and 5. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. To who? The undeserving. The unworthy. The ones that we tend to walk by, drive by. John the baptizer sent his disciples to Jesus. Are you the real deal? He said, just look at the prophecy. Are the prophecies being fulfilled by the Messiah? And the answer, by the way, is yes. Um, so when Jesus gives blind Bartimaeus his sight, he's demonstrating that he's the, he is the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He's fulfilling prophecy. This is an important confirmation because he's about to go to the cross. And who, who dies on the cross according to Deuteronomy this morning? For the Devo, only the accursed, the accursed of God, down on the cross. It's important that he verifies that he's the Messiah. So he's going to be ex- executed as a blasphemer. But notice what how the blind man pleads for mercy. This is in verse forty-seven and verse forty-eight. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now Jesus, when he referred to himself, liked to call himself the Son of Man. He's the one who represents all humanity. What does the blind man say he represents? David, Jesus, Son of David. Wasn't David told that he'd have a man on the throne forever? Another prophetic fulfillment. The guy who can't see, sees it. The guys who can see, don't. So he calls him out twice, Jesus, son of David. That's Messiah language. And so Jesus extends his mercy, verse 52, go. And what does it say healed him? His worth, his value, his tenacity, his faith. Your sozo, your faith has healed you. So now let me ask you a question. I'm looking at the clock to see if I have enough time to make an escape. <laughs> Who's the modern contemporary to blind Bartimaeus? Where does Jesus encounter Bartimaeus? He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's marching. He's walking past Jericho. And there's this blind guy at the gate begging for money. The guy that his disciples think isn't worth the time or the effort. Who might that be, Jim? The guys on the corner need help? Vet, <clears throat> hungry, I don't like any more than you do. Well, first, before we, we accept, bless the, the last thing we want to do is accept Jim's word for it. So before we do that, <clears throat> I love you, brother. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Because that's exactly where I went, Jim. <clears throat> Anybody else?
Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And my second thought was, shame on you that the corporation actually doing something to provide some sort of basic human need. Basic yeah. human need. Yeah. yeah. A greedy, profit centered corporation right. <laughs> doing right. something to try to meet a basic human need. Yeah. It didn't stink. I mean, you know, they're they're keeping yeah. it updated, but I just, you know, I, I I will fully admit I was human, and my first instinct was, why is that there? That's unsightly. And then and it is unsightly. My better angels spoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Jessica. I appreciate it. And thanks for the the, the candor. Um, uh, I won't speak for everybody else, but I, I can say I've been, I, I can make that same confession more than once. Anybody else? Does this grate on your last nerve like it does on mine? It just irks me to no end. I'm kind of I'm ticked at Jesus for being this kind and gracious to people who don't deserve it. Because he's kind of setting the bar where I don't, wanna, I don't want the bar. Oh, yeah, sometimes we don't see the need because we don't look for it. And I've never, yeah, been, yeah, my, the horses aren't the only ones that wear blinders. I wear them too. Well, we don't know who really does need the help. It's out there. See, I'm waiting for somebody. I was waiting for somebody, and, and, and you're, you haven't gone there yet, but, so I'm not going to accuse you of going there. But, but So I was waiting for somebody to go, well, Jesus knew his heart and knew that he was somebody who was worthy. Anybody want to go there? I was just waiting for somebody to go, yeah, but Jesus knew. We, we don't know, so we, we're not held to that standard because Jesus knew and we don't know. There are imposters out there doing the very same thing. There's some people, and, and you, that here, this is it. This is it. Yeah, it happens every time, every single time, right? It happens every single time. I, and I watch those people leave that corner, take their cardboard signs, put them in the back of a car nicer than mine, and drive off. And it's all over the world. And so Jesus knew this guy was really blind. He really needed help. And we don't have that knowledge, so that gives us an out. I I want that. I want that loophole so bad. But by the grace of God go I. Yeah. I used to to teach, uh, you know, back in in, in, in the early part of Acts when the church is all in Jerusalem... And it said that they sold their possessions and, and gave to those who had needs so that nobody had need. I used to teach that that was a moment in time, unique and, and one of a kind for the church when it's, when it's together in Jerusalem. Because we had pilgrims there in Jerusalem who came. That didn't, they didn't come with a month's worth of, of you know, traveler's checks. They only came with a week's worth. 
And so now we need to, we need to help them out. And so that was a one, one-time deal. And we're certainly not obligated to do that now as the church has been persecuted and scattered and we go do our own thing. Uh, I've repented of that since then because I, I don't think that's accurate. That was me trying to find a loophole. And so I'm just going to leave it, on, I'm just going to leave it with you to be uncomfortable with it and just let you wrestle and try to find a biblical loophole, not personal loophole, not moral, ethical loophole, a biblical loophole, and when you find it, come to me. But Jesus, Jesus um, came to a guy that nobody thought was worthy and spent his time and energy healing and restoring. And I believe he did that as an example of the last thing he did before he watched, marches into Jerusalem to become a sacrifice kind of as a metaphor for his whole ministry. This is what he's all about. Over and over again, he, he reached out and did things people thought were inappropriate, hanging out with the wrong people over and over again. And I am at risk of sanitizing Jesus so that I can follow him comfortably. May God bless you. We are dismissed.